If you have your Bibles, and I trust that you do, if you can open with me to Romans chapter 9, and we're going to be in Romans 9 and 10 today. And let me go ahead and just uh, ask you to bear with me. We came back from our mission trip to Ecuador last week, and I came down with a summer cold, of all things. Um, I guess probably going from 14,000 feet elevation and winter there in Ecuador to now summer here. So bear with me. And I had a plan. I wasn't going to sing any of the songs today and save my voice, but the songs were just too good. Like, how can I not sing about the faithfulness of God or about how great he is or the fact that because of him, we can always say it is well with our souls. So welcome to week 21 of our Romans series, and uh, what a series it has been, at least for this guy. I know I have been challenged, I've been convicted, I've been confused, I've been more confused, and yet I've been also deeply encouraged by our time walking through this book. And after last week, I want to thank you guys for coming back wasn't sure who would come back after last week's message, but I guess you guys were just predestined to be here. So uh, thankful for that. And this morning we come to eight verses that bridge chapters 9 and 10. For Romans 10 is the other side of Romans 9. So the focus of Romans 9 is on God's sovereignty over and in our salvation. And the focus of Romans 10 is our role in it. So our, our part. So But before we get to our role, before we get to our part, that's next week, I want us to spend time today focusing on Christ's part in our righteousness, the role that he plays. For he is, as you see on the screen, he is the Lord, our righteousness. And Paul opens this section by discussing Israel's failure to attain salvation while also focusing on the Gentiles' experience of it. So they receive what the Israelites failed to receive. It's kind of a weird thing. The ones who knew the most about God, the Israelites, did not come to know God as a whole. While the ones who knew the least about God, the Gentiles, came to know God best. The ones who wanted to be righteous, the Israelites, ended up being dead in their sins, while the ones who could care less about righteousness, the Gentiles, ended up being holy and blameless in the sight of God. And the reason for all of this is that the the majority of the Jews trusted in their own religious works for salvation. And because they trusted in their selves, their works, they weren't saved. They didn't attain it. They sought after their own righteousness rather than receiving the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. Let me just say this this morning from the beginning. Oh, how prone we are all to do the same. I think of the words of Richard Lovelace who said this, we, so not they, we all automatically gravitate toward the assumption that we are justified by our level of sanctification. We start each day with our personal security resting not on our acceptance of the love of God or the sacrifice of Christ, but on our present feelings or recent achievements in religion. Since these arguments will not quiet the human conscience, we are inevitably moved to a self-righteousness which falsifies the record to achieve a sense of peace. Think about that. As a whole, we're not moved every day by the love of God for us or by the fact that we um, have been set free by Christ. Oftentimes, we're moved by 
how we feel about the day, how things are going either for us or against us. And if we ever think we can earn salvation, then we have to lie. We have to falsify the records because we know we can't. So I pray today that we are all released from any thoughts or any attitudes of of self-righteousness so that we might all the more honor and adore the righteous one and the righteousness that he alone can give to us. If you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. We're going to read Romans 9, verse 30, all the way to Romans 10, verse 4. So eight verses a day we're going to unpack, and these verses are incredible. Paul says, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as it were, based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Let's pray. Father, we come before you again. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus, that he is our righteousness. Lord, we just pray today, God, that you would help us, as your word says, not to be put to shame, but to trust in Christ. Help us, Lord, to have, Lord, what is ours through those who believe. I pray, Father, for any who don't believe, that today would be the day of belief. Today would be the day of salvation. Speak, O God, for we're listening. Speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Men. And you may be seated. And I want you to notice real quick, look at verse 1 of chapter 10. Did you notice that Paul is actually praying for those who do not know Christ? And you might say, well, Paul, if it's about God's choosing, which is what Paul says in Romans 9, then how can we pray for their salvation? What difference does it make to pray if God's the one doing the choosing? But see, that's the point. Not even Paul, after talking about God's sovereignty in our salvation, lets that truth keep him and keep us from recognizing the role that prayers uh, play in bringing others to Jesus. Think about this. Paul knows that his prayers are the means by which God works in the lives of other people to bring them to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, I'm not stopping. I'm going to keep praying for those who don't know him. And let me just ask you this morning, if God answered all your prayers from last week for the salvation of people you prayed for, how many people would be saved today? And let me say this, for most Christians, let me, let me answer it for you, zero. Zero. And let me tell you why. Because we have fed into this bunch of bull that this world gives us that all it takes to get to heaven is live, not be Hitler, and die, and you go to heaven. And so 
We say, well, they weren't much, my, my loved ones, they weren't much of, of believers, but they believe, and they're, they're up in heaven with mom and dad and Uncle Jesse and Cousin Daisy and Bo and Luke and, you know, the, the rest of the family. They're up there with them. And the picture is, brothers and sisters, we have convinced ourselves that people who live, they just go straight to heaven. So, therefore, we don't pray for them and we don't tell them. God help us. God, help us. So ultimately what Paul is saying here, don't miss this, is that there are two approaches to God. One is where you attempt to establish your own righteousness, religion that is spelled this way, D-O, do. Keep doing, keep doing, keep doing. And if you keep doing, you might just earn your way to God. The other, is, the other approach is, righteousness given to you as a gift and it's spelled this way d-o-n-e it has been done for you and let me just say this if you're convinced that you can do enough to be saved you'll never submit to the message about what christ has done for you Amen. you'll never don't let anyone tell you that all religions are the same they may all teach us to be kind or to love people they might teach us to tell the truth, all religions might encourage us to do good things, but the basis for doing good things is different in Christianity than every other religion. For in every other religion, you do things in order to be accepted by God, and in Christianity, you do the works because you have been accepted by God. In every other religion, you do good works, and you hope, you hope in the end that your good works, um, that God will accept them, you hope. But in Christianity, because we have already been accepted by God, we are able to serve him with assurance, not with a hope-so thought. Oh, praise God that all of our doings are fueled by what Christ has already, D-O-N-E, done for us. It all starts there. And what we do in response to his work. So what I want to do this morning is I want us to unpack three truths concerning the Lord our righteousness and I pray today that God would meet you right where you are because these words today hit us and hit us in a way that we can't ignore Christ or maybe you choose to ignore Christ but you'll never be able to say you didn't know number one truth number one Jesus is the only true source of righteousness Jesus is the only true source of righteousness. So what Paul does in these eight verses, he talks about Gentiles who could care less about God, yet through their faith, they were made righteous. And yet the Israelites, the Jews who loved the law and thought they could earn salvation through the law, put their trust in the law and in their works, and they weren't righteous. They didn't get there. In verses 2 and 3, you see on the screen, Paul says, they have a zeal for God, speaking of the Jews, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Just follow with me here. Christianity is unique and is distinctly different from Judaism and every other world religion or every other ism in the world by virtue of the fact that Christianity alone recognizes that God's demands cannot be earned by us and salvation can only be received as a free gift to us through faith in Christ. Amen. 
Righteousness is not something we attain. It's something that God has given and provided to us. It's what God gives us when we place our trust in Christ. For you see, the Christian life is not about religion. It's about relationship. For in religion, you, you work for God. You hope in the end God will bless it. But in Christianity, you walk with God. You fellowship with God. You walk with him. He talks with you. You talk with him. You trust in him. You depend upon him. And he always comes through. He always comes through. Religion says do more. Try harder. Earn it. And just consider for a moment all the religions and the billions of people over the centuries who have walked, stepped, who have washed in rivers, who have taken pilgrimage and done a billion other things to be right before God. Many of them sincere, zealous, passionate, earnest, yet without Jesus' righteousness given to us, we are all not righteous, no, not one. Religious people miss salvation because they think that their good works will satisfy God's demands. And because of that, because they're trusting in their good works, they're not trusting in Jesus. You see, sometimes we see people who are, who are atheists, who are blatantly anti-Christian, and we think of them, they could never come to faith. They could never come to Christ. And then we see nice people, even religious people, and we think, Well, they don't need to come to Christ. They're already good. And we're wrong on both counts. For you see, here's the deal. Don't miss this. Jesus was a friend to the corrupt tax collectors and immoral prostitutes because he knew that he was the answer to the sickness within. But also, Jesus confronted the religious leaders as well who thought they were good enough to enter into the kingdom of God. Listen, if you have religious of family members don't just assume they're saved because they're religious. Jesus went after the heart of the Pharisees as well. Pray for God to convict them just as well as you ask God to convict that sinner that you're praying for. For you see, think about this. It's not sin that makes it hard for people to believe in Jesus. Please hear that again. It's not sin that makes it hard for people to believe in Jesus because, get this, sinners loved Jesus. In the gospel, sinners loved Jesus, meaning people who were readily to admit that they were sinners, from prostitutes to Zacchaeus to Cornelius and others, loved Jesus, ran to Jesus. Self-acknowledged sinners flocked to him. Think of a story I read this week of a man named Bob Harrington, in the 1960s, he was called the chaplain of Bourbon Street. For a number of years, God gave him a powerful ministry on Bourbon Street where he saw singers and gamblers and prostitutes um, come to Christ. In one of his books, he devoted a whole chapter to prostitutes who came to Christ through his ministry on Bourbon Street. But listen to what he says. He said, I always found it easier to win prostitutes to Christ because they already knew they were sinners. I also found much harder to win Baptist deacons because they have so much religion they don't need Jesus. And I'm not trying to pick on deacons this morning, but what I'm saying is this. Sinful people understand their sin. Religious people think they're okay. 
Religious people think something about their religiosity is going to win them the favor of God. It's not, not the way it works. For you see, it's not sin that makes it hard for us to believe. In fact, it's not even ethnicity that makes it hard for people to believe. I love the fact you think about most religions in the world. Most religions in the world are unified around one um, form of ethnicity. You think about Hinduism. Think about Buddhism. Think about Islam. It's a little, little different, but then you think about Christianity. And Christianity all across the globe, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people. The Gentiles were flocking to Christ, as we said last week. And here's the deal. Praise God, they're still flocking into the kingdom of God. So if sin doesn't make it hard for someone to enter the kingdom of God, and ethnicity doesn't make it hard to enter the kingdom of God, what makes it difficult? And here's the answer. Self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. The belief that somehow you can earn your own way. It's human pride. It's what Jesus hated the most. Those who were most confident in their righteousness because of their religion. The Pharisees, again, Jesus went after them. But think about this. Do you really think you can earn your salvation? Do you really think you're good enough? There's only been one person in all of history who was good enough. His name was Jesus Christ. Do you honestly think you're on his level? Do you honestly think you can do what he did? Because in his righteousness, he demonstrated his sinless nature. He demonstrated his love for the world when he died upon the cross. And he demonstrated his power when he rose from the dead. To think you can earn your salvation is to put yourself on the level with God. And you're not there. And I'm not there. And there's another reason we miss it. Dr. Donna Gray Barnhouse sums it up this way. Men look for something big. God put Christ into this world as a low-lying stone, hid away among the tall grass of a distant Roman province. Men held their eyes too high and walked across the world, not seeing Christ as God's only answer to their problems. And they tripped over him and stumbled when they came upon him suddenly. They were offended by a scheme of salvation which brings man to nothingness, and they refuse God's way. Let me say something this morning, brothers and sisters. Maybe you're here in this room. I believe there's probably people in this room. In fact, I know there's at least one in this room that at one time or another either said to themselves, I'll never be saved. No way God will save me. Or maybe someone else said of them, God will never save that person. I was talking this morning, and I've talked many times to Brother Roger, Brother Roger Clark over here. We have a little special connection. We both joined this church the same year. 1984. I joined in March of 1984 by letter. He joined in December of 1984 by salvation. But before that, Brother Rogers said, it will be a cold day in hell before I accept Christ. It'll be a cold day in hell before I'm saved. And on a Sunday in December 1984, Brother Roger walked in the doors of this church on a cold day, sat in the back of the church, figured he could hide. And guess what? You can't hide from the Lord. And God took someone who said, I'll never be saved. And God did what he does, the impossible. Maybe you're here today and that's your story. Praise be to God. Maybe you're here today and that needs to be your story. 
that you've, you said at one point, God would never save me. Guess what? He can. Amen. And he will. He will. He is the only true source of righteousness. Come to him even now. Even now, which leads us to point number two. Jesus is the stumbling stone to righteousness. He's the stumbling stone to righteousness. So again, picture a huge flat stone hidden in the grass. Some people never see the stone because they're looking ahead, not down, or they're looking up with their nose up in the air. Because they don't see the stone, they stumble and fall over it. And then think of others who... Walk through the grass slowly, carefully, uncertain as to what's coming or what lays ahead. Their head is down. It's fixed on their next step. They see the stone, and instead of stepping or, excuse me, stumbling over it, they stand upon it. The same stone who, that trips one person supports another. And Paul writes in chapter 9, verses 32 and 33, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. His name is Jesus. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Here's what scripture tells us. To God the Father, Jesus was the struck or the smitten stone of Exodus 17. To Israel, Jesus was the stumbling stone. To the church, Jesus is the cornerstone. And to the unbeliever, Jesus is the crushing stone. The stone that will crush in judgment. He's a stone. He's the stumbling stone to righteousness. There, there have always been two building projects going on in history into which all other projects can kind of be lumped in. There are those projects that join with the people of Babel and building something as high as the heavens to make a name for myself. Forget God. Forget what God has asked me to do. I don't want to live as if God exists. I want just to make a name for myself. I want to exalt myself. And then there are those projects that partner with God to make a name for him through exalting his son, Jesus Christ. Let me say this this morning. Jesus Christ is a cornerstone for those who place their trust in him and build their lives on and around him. If Christ is your cornerstone, he will sustain you through anything that life brings or that comes into your life. He will sustain you. Christ is a, is a cornerstone, but he is also a stumbling stone for any who reject him, for any who will not put their trust in in him. He's a stumbling stone for any who think they can earn salvation. And think about this. Just ask yourself this question. If you can earn your salvation, if man can earn their salvation, then why did Jesus come? If we could earn our salvation, then he didn't need to come. He didn't need to live a perfect life. He didn't need to die on the cross if we could earn our salvation. But because we can't, he had to come. He had to. In fact, think about this. If you decide that your goodness is enough to earn salvation, then Christ stands in your way because his goodness is better than yours. But if you pursue the righteousness of God through faith in him, you will encounter something you can never find on your own. 
2,000 years have come and 2,000 years have gone, and people are still stumbling over Jesus. If, if you believe on this stone, you can't lose. And if you reject this stone, you can't win. You cannot win. And just think about this. Human unbelief. Maybe you're here today and you say, well, I don't, I don't care about all this. Your unbelief will not frustrate the plans of God at all. Your unbelief won't frustrate the purposes of God. If God plans to make Jesus the chief cornerstone, then humans can betray him, can desert him, can deny him, can mock him, strike him, spit on him, hit him with rods, crown him with thorns, strip him, crucify him, bury him, but they cannot stop him from being what God purposed him to be, which is the cornerstone for those who believe. Unbelief can't stop what God has purposed. Oh, be to God that we would come to see the stone, not stumble over the stone, but to step upon the stone, to build our lives upon that stone. C.S. Lewis once said this, we all serve God inevitably, but it makes a great difference whether you serve him like Judas or you serve him like John. makes a great difference whether you serve Jesus like Judas did or whether you serve him like John did. You might be saying to yourself today, how can I know? How can I know I'm saved? I read a verse this week that struck me because I never, I never had given it much thought, but it's 1 Corinthians chapter 16. If you want to turn there just so you know I'm not making this up, 1 Corinthians 16, Paul writes in verse 22. Just hear this. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Wow. What what did Paul just say? If you don't love Jesus, then you're cursed. So the question is this. Do you love Jesus? Do you love him? Do you love him? Do you love him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul? Do you love him or do you love yourself more? If you love yourself more, you'll never know him. But if you love him, love him, you'll know him and all that he has for you. Jesus is the stumbling stone to righteousness, which leads us lastly to this. Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness. Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness. Look at chapter 10, verse 4. For Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. To everyone who believes. The text says that Christ is the end of the law. What does that mean? There has been so much debate about what that word end means. It could mean a bunch of different things, but here's the deal. Here's what I believe. If the law of Moses is a road, that road is designated to take you somewhere. And that road ends at Jesus. The law of Moses is taking you somewhere and it leads you, it takes you right to Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't come to get rid of the law. He came to fulfill the law. The law shows us how holy God is. The law shows us how sinful we are. The law shows us how much we need Jesus. And the law shows us how much he has done for us. It's what the law shows us. Christ is the end of the law, meaning that he gives perfect righteousness, something that the law never can give. For you see, the law can't change your heart, but Jesus can. 
He can change your heart. He can change your life. Therefore, instead of focusing on the temple, we focus on Christ. Instead of focusing on Moses, Christ. Instead of Aaron, Christ. Instead of the law, Jesus. Instead of ceremonies, Jesus. Instead of focusing on a localized worship in a building, we focus on Jesus. And after we've received his righteousness, we no longer need to look for another righteousness, for he is our righteousness. We have, he has become for us the righteousness of God. And this produces in us a different spirit. Tony Evans, Pastor Tony Evans, has a great illustration for this. And he says, and I quote, I don't understand when people are given a choice between unsweet tea and sweet tea, and they choose unsweet tea only to add sugar to it. Because have you ever tried to stir sugar into iced tea? You put in what you think is a proper amount, and you stir, and you stir, and you taste, and it's bitter. So you keep adding, and you keep stirring, and you keep stirring, and you have these little particles floating around, but it's nearly impossible to get it sweet enough. And you end up with a full centimeter of sugar at the bottom and still not sweet tea. And he says this, that's like trying to sweeten your spirit through the law. And what he says is this, many are trying to make it to God's heaven by stirring up their own righteousness. You're stirring as hard as you can, got to live right today, got to do better today, got to go to church today, got to give money today. And you stir and you stir and you stir and you're still not sweet. You stirred your life the best that you can, but stuff is still settling at the bottom and it's just not blending in. And then he says this, the righteousness Jesus Christ offers is the end of your stirring. Jesus will make you into sweet tea. He's the end of the law to everyone who believes. And because he's already fulfilled the law for you, he has put his spirit in you and he makes you sweet. Isn't that an amazing thought? We stir and we stir and we stir and we can't. And Jesus puts his spirit in us. He gives us the joy of the Lord that is our strength and it changes everything. It changes everything. Let me end this way this morning. Jesus Christ will either be a stepping stone into heaven for you or he will be the stumbling stone into hell for you. No one can be neutral when it comes to Jesus. Either you rise on him or you will fall without him. But let me say this. You can't walk around him. You can't go under him. You sure can't go over him. You have to go through him. We will encounter Jesus Christ. He is inevitable. He is unavoidable. He is inescapable. But let me just say this, and please hear this. What you do with Jesus Christ right now in this life determines what he does with you forever. What you do with Jesus Christ right now in this life determines what he does with you forever. What are you doing with Christ today? Are you trusting in him, in him for salvation? Are you trusting in him, leaning upon him? Are you trying to find a way around him? There's no way. He's the only way. And let me say this this morning. He's enough. Outside of Madrid stands an ancient monastery where the kings of Spain have been buried. The architect designed an elongated arch 
so flat that the reigning monarch insisted that it could not hold the structure above. So the monarch made the architect put a column underneath it to hold the arch up. After the king died, the architect revealed that he had deliberately made the column a quarter of an inch too short, and the arch never sagged. Here's the point. Nothing need be or nothing can be added to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. For all of eternity, brothers and sisters, Jesus will hold his own. For all of eternity, he will hold his own. None of us will sag. None of us will be dropped. None of us will fall through the cracks. For all of eternity, Jesus will hold his own. And how do we know that? I think of our Savior's final cry from the cross. It is finished. A translation which basically means this, it's ended. Jesus is the end of the law who said, it's done. It's over. The end. That one word tells us the greatest miracle our Lord performed. The work of redemption for you and for me. Brothers and sisters, you can't add one microscopic um, speck to the salvation that God has provided for you. And you can't stir it enough to make it work for you. But surrender to what has been done for you. And it will be enough forever. Maybe you're here today. And maybe, maybe when I told that story about Brother Roger, that, that brought something up in you. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you've said those words. I'll never be saved. I'll never believe there's a God. I'll never, I'll never be saved. I'm too bad of a person. And the fact that you're here shows you that God's love is greater than your sin. Amen. That God's love is greater than your sin and what you have done. I can assure you of this. If God can save this man right here, he can save you. Amen, Brother Roger. And if God can save me, he can save you. I don't want to, we're, we're together, Brother Roger, we're together. Those eight, 1984 alumni of FBCO. He will save you now. He will save you now. And I want to say this for people in here. Listen, we've filled, this church is filled with people who've been a part of the church for a long time. But let's not trust our religion. Let's not trust what we do. Let's not ever give the inclination to people that we're saved because we come here on Sunday. Or we're saved because we know the right answers to the questions. No, we're saved because of Jesus, period. Period. Oh, to God that, that we would exalt him, that we would lift him high. I think of the words of Jesus I will be lifted up, and when I'm lifted up, I will draw people to myself. Meaning this, brothers and sisters, I believe this with all my heart. If we keep lifting Jesus up, he will draw people to himself. Even today, he will blow our minds by that. Maybe today he's drawing you. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He will save you now. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand. We're going to call the musicians forward. We're entering this time of invitation and consecration, and I'm going to... This morning, I'm going to be at the front. If God is working in your heart and life in any way, we'll have people up front that can talk with you, pray with you. The altar is open. Whatever God is saying, put your yes there. Oh, God, we come before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you.
for the righteousness that is ours through Jesus. God, forgive us. Forgive us for thinking, Lord, that we can earn our way. Forgive us for thinking that there's a way to heaven apart from you. And help us, God, just to commit ourselves afresh and anew to lifting high the way, the truth, and the life. No way to the Father except through Jesus. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room today who doesn't know you. Even that one, Lord, who thinks there's no way that you could ever save them. God, show them today that they are no obstacle to your grace. They're no obstacle to what your salvation can do. And help them even in this moment to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. God, forgive us for trusting in religion. Forgive us for trusting in our feelings. God, forgive us for when... When times are bad and circumstances are bad for us, saying things about you that aren't true, or even living as if it, it isn't well. When we know that as we sang earlier, because of Jesus, it is well. It will forever be well with our souls. Just finish this time. In Jesus' name, amen.